Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. So I'm going to speak another message this week on money. And I know like some of you won't like that, but it's okay. God still loves me and he still loves you. And it's funny, I wasn't going to do a series, but I got a text from somebody. And I got this text after the service last week. It said, I was trying to stay in my seat to keep myself from coming up to receive an offering. I don't know why they didn't obey God, but anyhow, it's a good start to a series you'll be teaching. I hadn't, like, I wasn't planning on, planning on preaching a series. Well, that wasn't my plan. And then all of a sudden, I think God changed my plan. Sometimes he uses people to mess your plans up, amen? And so that's what he's doing. You're going to hear the second installment of a message today. I started last week, and I talked about a, a message called the money box. And, and the more and more I've pondered this, the more and more I've thought on this, it, it's an imperative message to preach in the day and age that we live, because the fact of the matter is, how many know the Bible says that the root of money is, the, of the love of money is the root of all evil? All right, how many of you like money? Why wouldn't you? Of course we like money. It pays our bills. It feeds us. It takes, of course, money is an important thing. And, you know, I was thinking about it. Jesus preached often on money. Paul wrote often on money. Um, and then it hit me, too. And I began to ponder this for a moment. As a pastor, what would, what would you rather I say? Would you rather I say something like this? Hey, listen, folks, we got no vision worth you giving to. Like, would you rather I say, well, you know, we have no vision that's even worth me preaching money on? Would you rather I say that, hey, you know, um, we have no vision that's worth your giving? The fact of the matter is, let me say this from my heart, we got a vision that's worth giving to. And we got a mission that's worth giving to. It's about seeing people saved through the power of Jesus Christ. It's about seeing people transformed. It's about a city being transformed. It is about what God wants to do and his purpose. And so, so I unashamedly, when it comes to vision and mission, ask people to give to it, okay? Whether it's through here, whether it's through the Nehemiah Project, because the fact of the matter is we must have a vision of what, and, and it's not our vision, amen? It's God's vision. It's God's dreams. All right, and, and so I begin to ponder this. And, and so let me take you through this. I'm going to preach the money box part two. Because I really believe that we have to understand something. Judas was the holder of the money box of ministry as Jesus and disciples ministered throughout the land. There were women who were transformed. The Bible tells us there was others who were transformed. There was Mary, there was uh, Susanna and these ones who put money into their ministry so they could do what they were going to do. All right, now the fact of the matter is I want us to get a picture this morning that we as a church, a com covenant community of believers come together doing the ministry of the kingdom of God and as we do that, we are depositing into the money box so that we can do ministry. Everybody got the picture? All right, and when we do that, so now there's contributors to it. Although it's funny, Judas was a taker from it, not a contributor to it. The Bible said he was a thief and used to steal from the money box. It's an amazing picture. And so the fact of the matter is, we need to be giving to what I'm going to call the money box of ministry. And let me say, let me give you three reasons this morning real quick. I'm going to talk to you, first of all, about grace-based giving. All right? But as I do this, I want to show you as a way of introduction, three reasons I believe I should preach on money. And I believe there's lots more reasons, but I'm going to give you three to start with. The first of all is that money, the love of money, is the root of all evil. 
All right, now listen to me for a moment. The Bible is very clear on this, is it not? That the love of money is the root of all evil. Evil, evil, the love of money has caused human trafficking, drug dealing. It causes robbery, burglary, murder. I mean, think of all the heinous, it causes wars. I mean, you would say the love of money causes wars, right? But you say, well, yeah, but I don't do any of those things. That's true. But the love of money also causes jealousy, envy. Anybody ever been envious of somebody? Mm-hmm. I, listen, I was envious this morning. These kids get up here and sing, and I'm going, oh, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. I mean, I mean, look at Isaac. Isaac gets up here. He's so skinny, he can hide behind a music stand. I need a bigger, I need a bigger pulpit, okay? He, he's got hair that's like thicker than thick, you know? Like, and, he's, and, he, and he was like five minutes, Tim. In case you didn't hear it, they were up here saying, see, Jim, it can be done. But you have to have a willing participant. All right? And then these young ladies get up and sing. Oh, my gosh. You know, these are teenagers, gang. Amazing. And then they get up and act and put on a wonderful portrayal that some of you are still trying to figure out. It's okay. At the end of it, Jesus won. All right? I just want you to know. For those of you who couldn't get it, Jesus won. All right? <laughs> All right. I've, I've sometimes watched um, human videos and I hear people go, what, the, what was that about? Jesus won, all right, just so you know. All right, but the love of money is the root of all evil and it causes jealousy, it causes envy, it causes strife in families, it causes division in families, it causes lying, it causes cheating. Right, come on, let's, let's, let's bring it down to our level of evil, right? So in order to offset this, the church has to operate with a love of Jesus that is greater than a love of money. Therefore, we must preach on it. Because how many know the love of Jesus is the root of all righteousness? If the love of money is the root of all evil, the love of Jesus is the root of all righteousness. The love of Jesus is the root of all goodness. All right? Now, the second reason I think we need to uh, preach on money is that money is used by the church to offset the spirit of mammon that Jesus talked about. Mammon was a personification of wealth where it was something to be served, something to be um, worshipped, if you will, all right? You, and the Bible says that Jesus said what? You cannot serve God and wealth. Notice it does not say you can't serve God and have wealth. How I many of you can have wealth and serve God? Amen? Let us, not, let us not be against wealth this morning. Let us be against the worship of it and serving it. All right. The, the fact of the matter is you can have wealth and serve God, but it explicitly says you cannot serve both. All right. So I think if I, in my life, I, I want to use my money to serve God and my wealth, not to, to use God. I, let me say this again. I want to use my money to serve God and not my wealth, not God to serve me to get me wealth. You understand what I'm saying? Good, because I don't. It can come out like I wanted it at all. Third reason. Money is a tangible demonstration of maturity. How you use money in your faith is a tangible demonstration. I'll show it to you a little bit later on as we go through this this morning. All right? You see, let me say this to you. The ministry of most churches doesn't lack for vision. It doesn't lack for missions or dreams. It doesn't lack for people who give of their time or their talents. The ministry does not lack for people who have passionate worship and generous, uh, purposeful service. However, it does at times lack from faithful, consistent, 
and generous giving, whether it's this church or another church. You, you see, before I go any further, let me, let, me just, let me just mention to you a couple of what I see that happens in our lives as Christians. First of all, there are some of us that need to just simply move into what I'll say faithful giving. That we just, absolutely, how many know giving is an act of obedience and faith? If you're going to believe what the Bible says, right? It's, a, it's an act of giving is an act of obedience and faith. We give by faith. How many of you have ever had to give money by faith only to see God reward that act of faith? All right? Um, some say they can't. How many know can't is the opposite of having faith that says I can? Right? And so some of us need to start exercising a level of faith that says my job is not my provider, my stinginess is not my provider, my stinginess is not my protector, but the reality is I'm going to give faithfully because I know that my God is the one who provides my every need according to his riches and glory. Some of us need to move into the faithful realm. And then there are those that need to move into what I'll call a consistent realm. They visit giving. I give some. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Paul didn't call for this. Paul called for consistent giving in keeping with their income. All right, it's, I can't go through all the scriptures, but let me, I'm just setting this up. All right, there are times you've given by faith. You give according to the word, and we see him reward. There are times we give, but we don't do it consistently. That was me for a time. For a time in my life, I'd give, but it wasn't consistent giving. You know what the greatest, you know, you know what I love about the era in which we live, I can give and never write a check. I can give and I don't even, I give on a weekly basis and don't even have to do it. My, my tithe and offering beats me to church. I, it's here when I'm not here. I love the era in which we get to do church. I love automated drafts. I love automated giving. I think it is the best thing. I go to conferences, I can pull out and give on a website. What an amazing era we live in, all right? Because you know, you know me, like if I got to remember to write a check all the time, it might not happen, which is why Eric pays the bills at the house. And Penny's still looking for that check she lost, all right? Anyhow, <laughs> all right? But some of us need to move into consistent giving, all right? And then some of us need to move into the generous giving realm, all right? What do I mean by that? Well, there's a lot of people who have the idea of the law. They know about the tithe. You give to get by. You give to fulfill the duty, quote, of the law, the 10%. And you're walking by obedience. You're walking by faith. But yet you've, you've yet to enter into that generous giving realm, which is actually over and above and beyond what I have to do. You give a minimum, but it's not generous giving. Generous giving goes beyond the law and enters into the new covenant that causes us to give by grace and through grace, all right? It, you know, I love, I really love to give. I love to bless, I love to give, right? And there's something about it, the Bible says what? That God loves a cheerful giver. 
When you can step into that realm where I've stepped beyond just giving according to law because I have to, and the Bible says this, and you're doing a minimum, to where now I'm going over and above and I'm in that generous realm, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, man, I like, this is fun. This is fun. I'm starting to enjoy this. Yeah, I like this. All right? Uh, so, because so, listen to me for a moment. Uh, you got to understand that there is a, there's a, there's a, the Bible teaches much about this. And so I'm setting this up, which takes me to a story in Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 19, we are introduced to a man by the name of Zacchaeus. All right? You know the story. How many of you sang about this Zacchaeus dude uh, in a sycamore tree? Right? When you, were, when you were young kids, you sang, anybody, nobody sang that song? Some, some of you just don't want to show your age. Right? And you sang this song about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was, the Bible tells us, his chief tax collector, probably a lying, cheat, swindling, in cahoots with Rome, and he was hated by his own people. Jesus is coming to Jericho. He hears he's coming to Jericho. He wants to see Jesus, but he's a short little dude. Right? And, he, and the Bible says he couldn't see him because of his stature. So what does he do? He climbs the sycamore tree. I mean, come on. How many know he looks like a fool? How many know? It's okay to be a fool for Christ. Right? He's just like, I want to see him so bad, I'm going to climb that stinking tree right there, and I'm going to get a view of him. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets a view of him. Excuse me. I'm coming to your house for dinner. How many of you might have went, oh, no. How many of you would have rushed home and done the dishes or something? (laughs) What what would happen right now if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt if I said to you, Jesus is coming to your house in an hour? I promise you, a lot of you would not hear the end of my message. <laughs> there would be, some of you would be going home, you'd be cleaning corners, you'd be cleaning, you would go, some of you would be going through your movie collection right now. <laughs> right? So he said, I'm coming to your house. And he goes to his house. Okay, here's what the scripture tells us. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up, he said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry. He says, come down, because I'm coming to, your, to stay at your house, right? Now, I want you to think about this. Watch, it goes on. It goes on and says this. And he hurried, and he came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Anybody ever look down their nose like that at anybody? Don't only raise your hand, right? Zacchaeus stopped. In this visit, let me come back to this for a moment. So watch this. Here's what happens in this thing. Here's Jesus going to a place of a man, the Bible says, was a sinner with a reputation that he earned. His reputation was something that revealed his character. How many know our reputations aren't always false? How many know our reputations sometimes are there because we've earned our reputations? His character was revealed through what he did with money and how he got his money. Because he was greedy and he was swindling background, he became an enemy. His unsaved condition was revealed through the manner he got his money. His unsaved condition was revealed with what he did with his money. Except enter Jesus. I'm coming to your house. I'm bringing grace to your house. I'm bringing salvation to your house. Because how many know it wasn't Zacchaeus searching for Jesus. It was Jesus searching for Zacchaeus. Hey, I've been looking for you. You were lost, but I'm finding you. All right, sound familiar? Lost, found, grow, go. And Jesus 
said, I'm coming to your house. And now he goes to his house and those who were watching this began to grumble. They began to grumble because he went to the house of a sinner. They were making judgment on Jesus because of their judgment on Zacchaeus. Isn't it funny? That Jesus can't be any good because he's hanging out with that Zacchaeus guy. Right? They were making judgment on the character of Jesus based upon the character of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus hears it. He's hearing an indictment against him and an indictment against Jesus. What could he offer to prove his world had just been rocked by Jesus? Anybody ever had their world rocked by Jesus? What proof could he offer? Is there anything he could at this point do that would demonstrate to Jesus and this crowd that he was a changed man? Was there anything he could do? All of a sudden he said, I know, I got it. My whole life has been about gaining money, getting money, cheating people out of money, getting rich, gaining wealth. I got it. Here's the proof I'm a changed man. He says, what's he say? Behold, Lord. Half of my possessions, I'll give to the poor. I mean, no, that was not an inexpensive statement. And he said, and if I've cheated or defrauded anyone, I mean, no, there was no if about it. I will give back four times as much. Hmm. Now, look at this. Let me say something to you real quick. Get this. Um, let me move on. I don't want to go out of the way. Zacchaeus was not saved because of his giving. All right? Remember? It's just Jesus looks at him and Jesus said what? And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. His salvation did not come because of his giving. Right? That's not what happened. I want you to think about this. The testimony of the crowd was he's a sinner. The testimony of the crowd was he's a sinner. But the testimony of Jesus was he's a son. He's a son. I'll take the testimony of Jesus any day over the testimony of man. Right? He's a son. Now, how did that happen? Because the grace of Jesus brought Zacchaeus into sonship. How many know it's the grace of Jesus that brings us all into sonship? That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary, how many know it is by grace we are saved? That I come into sonship, right? The grace of Jesus brought Zacchaeus into sonship, but the grace of giving was evidence of grace received. <laughs> I've often said this about Zacchaeus. Nobody taught him a tithing class. Nobody taught him a giving class. Nobody taught him anything about giving. All he knows was, I have met this man named Jesus. He has offered me grace. He has given me grace. And you know what? If I've been given grace, I've received it, and I'm going to give it out. And the only way I can know to give it out at this point is I'm going to give half of what I got to the poor, and I'm going to repay everybody I cheated four times as much. How many of you think the man got saved that day? Right? You see... Grace-based giving is the action of sons. We're not even going to talk about the tithe today. If you're living and fighting the tithe, 
you missed the new covenant. The new covenant. Because the new covenant teaches, it does, well, let me say this. Don't tell me the New Testament doesn't teach tithing because it does. But it really teaches grace-based giving, which is over and above and beyond any tithe. All right? Now let me talk to you on a little journey. I thought, Lord, I need a way that I can demonstrate this in our lives. Well, Paul's writings will actually demonstrate this. You see, because we need to move into a realm of grace-based giving. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. All right? And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. All right? So let's stop there for a moment. Now, one more. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. All right, let's talk about this for a moment. Who are the Macedonians? The Macedonians, if you recall, in Acts chapter uh, 16, remember Paul is trying to go to different places to minister, but the Spirit of God kept stopping him. He wanted to go to Bithynia. He wanted to go here. He wanted to go there. And the Spirit of God stopped him. And all of a sudden, he had a vision at night. A vision of a man in Macedonia said what? Come over here and help us. And Paul went to Macedonia. He preached the gospel. People got saved. People got transformed. Cities and towns were transformed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now Paul is using those very people as an illustration, an example of what it was to give according to grace. All right? And to give grace-based. Our lives need to be grace-based giving. What does it look like? Well, let me take you through a few things, okay? First of all, the first thing is grace-based giving is not circumstantial giving. How many know that we're not called to give according to our circumstances? Thank you for that rousing applause and amen. This is what happens when you preach on money. It touches our very heart. Come on, let's be honest. And let's, let, let me put a couple caveats out there. Number one, this is not beat up the church money sermon. This is beat up the devil money sermon. Make no mistake about it. When our money is in control of the Lord, the devil gets a shot to the head. Okay, this is not beat up the church. This is beat up the devil. And we need to beat the devil up with our money. Amen? This is not a guilt-driven message. The only, somebody came up to me last week and they were saying, well, Pastor, I hear that message and I'm looking at him and I'm saying, you already are a giver. The only, thing, the only thing you ever need to feel guilty over is not doing what God tells you to do. This is not the pastor telling you what to do. I'm going to give you the word of God. It's on you and God now. And you do what God tells you to do. Amen? Listen to me. I've had lots of fights with God about the money I've given. How many of you have ever had fights with God about money you've given? How many, how, many, how many of you didn't win those? All right? Right? Okay. So let us understand something this morning. This is not, this, this, if you will take this to heart, it will unlock blessing in your life. And not only will it unblock blessing in your life, it will bless your church. It will be used in the ministry of the gospel. And if I can say this, you will experience joy in giving. Like, I, wanna, I, I want you to have joy in it. All right, so first of all, Paul said to them in this scripture, he, he said what? 
in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it all welled up into generosity. Your, your giving, our giving, my giving cannot be circumstantial giving. Because listen to me, if it is circumstantial giving, how many know it lacks faith? If it's circumstantial giving, it lacks grace. If it's circumstantial giving, I'm now operating by what I have, not what I don't have. But how many know the Bible doesn't really teach that? Yes, okay. You're not going to agree with one thing I say in this money message, are you? Anything you're going to agree on today is when I say amen. At the end. We got to come to a place where our giving is not a matter of what I can't do. It's a matter of what I will do because of what God can do. Second thing, grace-based giving is seen as a privilege, not a burden. That's <laughs> a privilege. I love what Paul says. Paul says this, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. I just thought, it got me thinking about all those times people come up and begged me to give. Not begging me to give, begged so they could give. I mean, just begging to give. Pastor, please let me give. Pastor, please let me give more. Pastor, I'm pleading with you. And then it dawned on me, that's never happened. <laughs> Listen, we got great givers in the church, but I'm just telling you, nobody's ever begged me to come up and give me money. Right? Like, like I, I'm waiting for that day. I like the story in the Old Testament with uh, the king, I think it was Hezekiah. And they kept bringing money. They kept bringing stuff. He's like, whoa, tell them to stop. We got too much. I will never tell you that. <laughs> but that, that, look at that. Paul said that they viewed it as a privilege. We want to be a part. I want to be a part of this privilege and this honor. I know what Jesus did for me. I know what the gospel did for me. I want to be a part of this. I want the privilege. There are people that will give millions to get their name on a building. Listen to me. Sowing into the kingdom of God is a higher privilege than that. It's a higher privilege. You see, you see because I, I, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right? My name is written because of what Jesus did, not what I did. How would I not want to give to be a part of that? It is a privilege, not a burden. Grace-based giving goes over and above what is expected. <laughs> when Jesus went to Calvary, how many know we got over and above what we deserved? Now we got over and above what we deserved. The old covenant, they killed a lamb, put the blood on the mercy seat, and they got one year atonement. Jesus goes to the Calvary and his blood bought me eternal salvation. His blood bought me eternal cleansing. Hello. I got over and above what was expected. My grace-based giving should be over and above what is expected. We mentioned last week, even the Old Testament tithe. If you're going to operate Old Testament, you need to get 23% off. Forget that 10 thing. But grace-based giving, Paul says they gave over and above. They gave beyond their ability. But how can they give? How, how can you give beyond your ability? <laughs> it's a crazy thing, isn't it? God's economy does not work like this world at all. 
It is amazing the number of times I've heard people say we couldn't give this, we didn't have that to give, but we gave it and God made it up in ways we never ever knew would come. It's going over and beyond. Grace-based giving. Whoops. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm all messed up here. Listen to me. Grace-based giving begins with giving ourselves to the Lord before giving our money to the Lord. Watch what Paul says. Paul says this in the scripture. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Hmm. Before I'm going to operate in the grace of giving, I've got to receive the grace of God. I received the grace of God because how many know I give myself to God? I offer myself to God. I give my heart to God. I give my life to God. Do you know what Zacchaeus was doing? Zacchaeus was saying, my life is yours. My life is yours. I'm giving you my life. And now because I've given you my life, I'm now going to give you my money. I'm now going to give you an offering. Because listen to me this morning. How are you going to give money when you won't give yourself to him? It's quiet in here. I'm going to get up and sing a song. I would, I would challenge a notion this morning that if he doesn't have part of your checkbook, he doesn't have all of you. I, I, I didn't write this stuff. Blame him. Blame Paul. Okay, I'm going to lay the word out. You can be mad at me all you want. You can hate me all you want. Some of you are going to love me because you're going to walk in a new dimension of giving that you've never walked in in your life. I'm just telling you. Grace-based giving is about giving ourselves to the Lord before money. But let me say this. Some want to start with their money. Start with yourself and the money will follow easier. Grace-based giving is an act and a revelation of love. Say, what do I mean by that? How can you say that, Pastor? Well, I'm just going to give you a scripture. How would that be? Paul said this. Paul says, listen, he said to the Corinthians, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Oh, my goodness gracious. Paul just told the Corinthians, I'm going to test your love. I'm going to test the sincerity of your love. Don't tell me you love them. Don't tell me you love me. Don't tell me you love God and you can't give. And, and then he says this, and I'm going to compare it to the Macedonians. Whoa. How many of we don't, okay. I, I don't like that scripture at all. I'm going to compare, I'm going to test it and I'm going to compare it. Because the fact of the matter is we give to what we love. We give to what we love. Zacchaeus came into a love relationship with Jesus. I'm going to give half what I got to the poor and I'm going to repay. The woman comes in with a vial of perfume. She's in love with Jesus and she breaks it and she pours it out because it was a love offering to Jesus. Judas, who doesn't love Jesus, takes resentment at it 
takes disdain with that offering because he was a thief. Every offering is a love offering. Every offering is a love offering. Look what he said. He goes on. Grace-based giving is an acceptable offering because it's done from a willing heart. Because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Paul said this. This is Paul. what Paul said. Paul said, for the willingness is there. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. According to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Do you understand this morning that it is our heart, not our money, that makes our gift acceptable? Do you understand this morning it is our heart that makes our worship acceptable, not our words? Do you understand that it is our heart that shapes our words? Willingness, being grace-based giving is me saying, I'm willing to give because he was willing to die. And because he was willing to die, I received grace. And because I've received grace, I'm now willing to give. How can we be unwilling to give when he was so willing? You see, someone to argue whether the tithe is New Testament. My question is this. Who can biblically, biblically argue against grace-based giving? You can argue the, argue the tithe all you want. I don't care. Tell me it's not in the New Testament. Okay, let's just assume it's not. All right, everybody feel better now? But let me tell you what is in the New Testament called grace-based giving, where we give from a position of grace because we were given a position in grace. We give from a heart of generosity because we have a transformed heart because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. We give out of a willing heart because of the willingness of him to go to Calvary's cross. It is a total transformation on how we give. We don't give according to a law. We give according to a position. We don't give according to fear. We give because we understand he's the one who gave first, all right? So think about this for a moment. Grace-based giving is using his money box for his purposes, from a position of sonship through grace. Who, who am I and who are you? We are sons of the living God. By faith in Christ Jesus, through grace. Zacchaeus was a man who encountered the grace of God. So radically encountered that grace that he willingly, from a transformed heart, said, I'm giving half what I got to the poor. From a transformed heart, who used to cheat, lie, and steal from people, said, and I'm going to pay back all those I cheated and lied and stolen from, and I'm going to pay them back four times as much. Because I know what I've gotten here. I've gotten grace. I've received sonship. My position 
is a son. And now he operated in grace-based giving. I could take you example after example through the scripture and show you men and women. Why, why do you think these women were depositing money in the money box that Jesus had? Jesus set them free. They were set free by the power of Jesus Christ. I'm given to that. I'm given to that. They were set free. But Judas, on the other hand, he had control of that money box. Ouch. He had control of that money box. Not only did he have control of the money box, but for 30 pieces of silver, he handed Jesus over. And I said last week, and I'll say it again this week, we would never hand him over 30 pieces of silver. But he can't have our 30 pieces of silver. But when it comes from a position of grace, all of a sudden it becomes, how much can I give? I want to give. Can I give? My circumstances aren't going to dictate. My circumstances are not going to steal the joy of giving. Now listen to me. Montroy, everybody say praise God. All service couldn't get you to say anything. This is not a message that says everybody has to give the same. That's a ridiculous notion. That's not how the kingdom, that is not what the kingdom of God operates by. It is saying that we all give from the same position, in the same place. And we all give from grace. And we all give from sonship. I want us to see the aspect of grace-based giving this morning. The next time I preach on this is going to be faith-based giving. Think it's, think it's, I think we're down in attendance today. Wait till that one. <laughs> you know, these messages get very few likes on Facebook. They get very few shares. I'm just telling you. If, listen to me, church. If the love of money is the root of all evil, the love of Jesus is the root of all righteousness. The, the love of Jesus is the root of all righteousness. And from that love of Jesus flows giving that offsets that love of money. Our world is upside down. Our priority scale with money is upside down. I mentioned it last week. I have no problem. Uh, okay, they're, they're going to give basketball players $38 million a year to play basketball. Praise God. I bless them. I hope they do great things with it. If my son was a basketball player, I'd tell him, get all you can get because I didn't set, they didn't, listen to me. Those players did not set the market. We did. We watch it. Well, some, some, I know, I know, I know. I don't watch that stuff basketball. Just, just let, me, let me alone for a minute. We buy the jerseys. We buy the, we, we, we're watching it on TV. We buy the tickets. Owners are making billions. They're just going by what the market is set. By an upside down value system in our world. But based grace giving flips the script. It flips the script. It flips the script. It says, no, no. I'm not going to operate according to the standards of this world. I'm going to operate by the economy of another world. 
and my value system and my affections are going to be determined by the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world and certainly not the spirit of mammon. Much of the time when we say we can't give, the reason we can't give is because we bow to the spirit of this world, myself included. We bow to the, the, the God of self-pleasure. We bow to the God of whatever it takes, we're going to find pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. Let me tell you about God. He's not afraid to bless you. God is not afraid for you to have things. He's not afraid for you to go places. He's not afraid for you to take trips. He's not afraid of you having nice cars. He's not afraid of any of that. And he's not against any of it. But he is against it if you can't be part of his kingdom giving. He is against that. Because he wants us to be givers based upon sonship. Grace-based giving. Father, this morning, help us be grace-based givers. Paul outlined so many different principles as he talked about these Macedonians. These people. These people that, in a vision, said, come help us. Come help us. And he took the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And the gospel of Jesus Christ changed people, changed families, changed towns and villages and cities. And those very changed people, the Bible tells us, became incredible givers. History tells us they were poor people, stripped by Rome. But it shows us a people who were grace-based givers that begged and pleaded with an opportunity to give that gave beyond their means, that gave beyond their capacity, that went over and above and beyond. Father, we want to be grace-based givers. Help us become that. Let us experience the joy of it. And let us, through our grace-based giving, beat up the devil. That's right, that we would use our money to offset the ploys of hell in our city. That we would say to him, it's the, this money box belongs to Jesus. This money box belongs to Jesus. And I'm a custodian and a steward of this money box. And I will be a steward in good standing because of the grace that my God has given to me. I will not be a greedy steward. I will not be a stingy steward. I will not be a thieving steward. But I will be a steward in good keeping because I'm a son. I'm more than a steward. I'm a son who's a steward. And we will take joy. We will take joy in our giving. And the Bible shows me that one day I'm going to see you face to face. And you're going to take joy in my giving. Ha! Think of that one. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the story of the talents. That's the story of the minus. Well done. And then there's a reward that comes. And so this day we say, 
in our hearts to you. I want to be a son who knows how to give according to grace. In Jesus' name, amen.